0: All right, yes, it is big day. It is big day. A hey, question for you uh, as we as we start here today, uh, for the guys out there who are married, have you ever given a gift to your wife that really was really a hit i mean really well received i mean this this uh, hopefully hopefully the answer is yes, hopefully multiple ones <laughs> all right, but um, anyway uh, you know I, I gave a gift to my wife. Uh, uh, which, when I describe what the gift is, it might sound like I haven't given a gift to her for a while that has been any good, okay? But the gift was a real hit. It was, it was a home run. It was a Garmin, okay? And for her… Um this, this Garmin was, you know, well, first of all, you know, Garmin, I mean, th- these days, Garmin, I mean, do you, do you guys even know what a Garmin is? I mean, <laughs> you know, it, it, it really wasn't all that long ago that Garmins were cutting-edge technology, but they've been replaced by these navigation screens in, in uh, cars and uh, Google Maps on your cell phone, you know, things like that. But, you know, not too long ago, Garmins were the cutting-edge way to be able to find your way around town, yeah. And uh, now for her, it was really important because now when we used to live in Colorado, I would get a call frequently, I think, from Linda where she would be, you know, she'd do something like miss an exit on the freeway or something like that. She'd be all hysterical. Uh, you know, <coughs> I can't find my way. I'm lost. I don't know which way to go. And I'd be her human Garmin, you know, to try to guide her back home again. Well, so she was really excited when I gave her this thing, uh, this garment as a gift. She thought that thing was a home run, you know, and, and, and you know, it's such a romantic gift anyway. It, um, but it was better than the than the kitchen sink I gave to her that other year. So, you know... <laughs> The, the garment was a real hit. It, it, she really appreciated it. The thing that she didn't appreciate was the day when I reprogrammed it to give her directions in Spanish. That, that didn't work too well for her. Uh, but, she, but she did appreciate it because she didn't want to get lost. I mean, nobody wants to get lost, right? This parable that we've been talking about here, um, which has been commonly called over the years, the parable of the prodigal son, is a parable about lostness. It's a parable about lostness. And it's a parable, I think, that if we take a look at it, what we're going to see is that it is a parable that gives us some surprising new insights on what it means to be lost. So we might be able to identify whether we're lost or not. Now, we can easily identify, for example, the younger son, the younger brother, as being one who was lost. I mean, he demanded his share of the inheritance from his father, and he went off into wild living, blew it all, wound up in a pigsty, and all this kind of thing. Well, the, the other day, uh, my father-in-law, uh, this last week actually, my, my father and mother-in-law, Lee and Margaret Snyder, they were staying with us and uh, visiting here from Colorado, um, and uh, Lee has been an insurance man for many, many years. He's turned 87 this week. We celebrated his birthday all week, and, and uh, anyway, told told me the story about this guy that was one of his better clients, uh, a guy that was a business owner. And uh, he bought a $10 million life insurance policy from him. Now, $10 million is a big life insurance policy. This guy was pretty well off. And one day, he called up Lee on the phone. He said, Lee, we need to get together. I need to change my beneficiaries on my life insurance. So Lee said, okay, great. Let's let's get together. Uh, It turned out that um, this man was uh, separated from his wife now. They were estranged. Um, He wanted to change his beneficiary there, he uh, he, he really having a tough time with his kids. You know, they were ungrateful, they were rebellious, all this kind of stuff. So he was heading over to Lee's office to, um, um, heading over to see Lee to change his beneficiaries. Well, on the way, he got in a car accident and died. So the wife that he was estranged from got $5 million. And each one of the kids, each got $1 million. And one of the kids, Lee was saying, right after he got the check for $1 million, he went off to Las Vegas, where he blew it all in one weekend. He came home penniless. <laughs> I mean, you've got to work hard to blow a million dollars in one weekend. But it was all in one weekend, and I thought, man, that is a whole lot like the younger brother and we can easily identify somebody like that as being lost, right? And it's not because they're lost physically. The younger brother was able to find his way from the pigsty back to his father's house again. I mean, this, 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 this was pretty obvious. So, so when we call him lost, what in the world are we talking about? We're talking about somebody that lost their way in life, right? Somebody that lost their way in relationships. Somebody who lost their way in terms of values and priorities and you know the right road to go down in, in life. And we can readily identify him As being one who's lost. But what about the elder brother? What about the elder brother? Is it possible that this one over here, this one who goes through life never leaving his father's house, um, always doing the right thing, doing what his father has to say for him to do, is it possible that this one could be lost too? The elder brother? Well, one day, One day, Jesus actually lived out this parable when he met a tax collector by the name of Levi. Now, Levi wasn't called Levi because of the incredibly comfortable pair of pants he was wearing. He was called Levi because he was of the tribe of Levi, where the tribe of Levi, among all the tribes of Israel, the tribe of Levi was the tribe that was made up of people with a unique uh, purpose, a unique designation, unique job in life. They were supposed to be the ministers. They were supposed to be the ones who would be the priests at the temple. But Levi wasn't that. Instead, Levi was one who was working for the Roman government. He was a tax collector, collecting taxes and lining his pockets with the extra money that he could collect from the people. He was, in other words, a crook. He was a younger brother. And Jesus, when he came to him and he saw him, he found him, he referred to him in much the same terms that he did to his other disciples that he met by the Sea of Galilee when he said, follow me. These words in Luke 5, 27, follow me. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. And the very first thing that Levi did was had Jesus into his home at a table, kind of like this. Now, there's certain significance in what Levi was doing here because in those days, hospitality really communicated something. And I think it does today as well. But maybe we don't think of it in those terms necessarily. But in those days, it was very intentional. Hospitality would communicate something. If you were invited into a person's home and you accepted that invitation and you sat at their table, it showed that you accepted your host. You accepted who that was. And if you were hosting this dinner and you invited someone into your home to be seated at your table, it showed that you accepted that person. You accepted who they were. You accepted their message. You accepted what they stood for. So therefore, the Pharisees, who were the elder brother in the real-life story of the prodigal son, stood at a distance. They didn't want to come to the table they didn't want to come to the table, so they didn't even address their question to Jesus. Instead, they addressed it to Jesus' disciples when they when they asked the question about why in the world Jesus would eat with sinners and tax collectors. Why would he do this? Now, when, when they were asking this question, they, they, they said this, actually, in Luke chapter 5, verse 30, they said it, where it says, Complain, they complained to his disciples, why do you do this? Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Well, Jesus heard them. So he said this in Luke 5, 31, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And Jesus is using this kind of an analogy of going to the doctor, okay, If somebody is sick and they never go to the doctor, it's pretty tough for the doctor to heal them, right? It's pretty tough for the doctor to help them. They need to recognize that they're sick and go to the doctor to be able to receive help. Likewise, in the same way, a person who doesn't see that they're lost is not going to look for a way to be found. They're not going to look for a way to be able to find their way home, If a person like the Pharisees do not recognize that they are lost, then they don't know that they need a garment. They don't know that they need Google Maps. They don't know that they need a Savior like Jesus. But Levi knew, and he followed Jesus. And from then on, people knew him, not by the name Levi, but instead they knew him by the name Matthew. You know, it's tough, though, to be an elder brother, working and slaving all day, Doing the right thing, being a better person than other people, you know. You're a good person, doggone it. You deserve something in life, right? That's an elder brother. But it's the word deserve that gets both brothers into trouble. The younger brother over here, he thought that he deserved his share of the inheritance, so he demanded it from the father. The elder brother thought that he deserved from the Father as well because He was so good because of all of the things that He did. In both cases, they did what they did because they thought they deserved what they would receive. And so they pushed themselves away from the table. Now, Timothy Keller says this of the elder brother. He says, If, like the elder brother, you believe that God ought to bless you and help you because you have worked so hard to obey Him and be a good person, then Jesus may be your helper, your example, even your inspiration, but he is not your Savior. You are serving as your own Savior. The elder brother was his own Savior. He thought he deserved the good things from the Father. He didn't need a Savior. Now, elder brothers can be found both inside the church and outside the church. Those who are inside the church can be represented and seen by the example of the Pharisees where they do what is right, they do what is good, they do, they do the right things and all of this, but they did so to get the Father's stuff, his blessings, his approval even, but not to have the Father himself. And elder brothers can be found outside the church. Maybe you've heard something like this, hey, I'm a good person. Why do I need to go to church? Or, you know, at at the occasion of Uncle Bob's passing. Uh, Sure, Uncle Bob is in a better place. After all, he was a good person. A common thing that's said. Even though Uncle Bob never could spend an hour in the Lord's presence in this life. In both cases, the elder brothers want the things of the Father, but not the Father himself. They don't want his heart. They don't want what the father loves. And in both cases, they figure that they will have the father's stuff because they deserve it. Now, to understand how this relates to the elder brother, Timothy Keller tells this story. And it goes something like this that once upon a time there was a gardener who grew an enormous carrot. One carrot. So he took it to his king and said, My lord, this is the greatest carrot I've ever grown or ever will grow. Therefore, I want to present it to you as a token of my love and my respect for you. The king was touched, and he discerned the man's heart, so he turned to go. And the king said to him, Wait, you are clearly a good steward of the earth. I own a plot of land right next to yours. I want to give it to you so that you can garden that as well. So you can have it all. And the gardener was amazed. And he was delighted. And he went home rejoicing. Well, there was also a nobleman who was there in the court at that time. And he observed what took place. He overheard it all. And he thought to himself, Self, he got all that for a carrot? What if I gave him something better? So he went home. And he got a black stallion, a beautiful black stallion. He brought it in to the king. And he said to him, My lord, I breed horses, and this is the greatest horse I've ever bred or ever will. Therefore, I want to present it to you as a token of my love and my respect for you. But the king discerned the man's heart and said thank you, took the horse and merely dismissed him. Well, the nobleman was beside himself. He thought to himself, What in the world gives here? This is not right. This is messed up. What in the world happened? I gave him a horse. Well, the king, knowing his heart, said this Let me explain. The gardener was giving me the carrot, but you were giving yourself the horse. Those who are lost are all about themselves. Even good things are done for yourself, which doesn't make the good things bad, of course, but it means that the reason for you doing them are what separates you from the Father. It's what makes you lost. Lostness means you don't need a Savior because you're your own Savior. And lostness carries a great price to it, too. If Uncle Bob is lost, it means that he's not in a better place right now, no matter how good he was and no matter how great a bowler he was. And if if you are lost, it means that you will not be seated at that feast when Jesus returns, no matter what you have done, because you are your own Savior. And then there's the price to the Father. You know, I can just, in this story, feel the Father's heart breaking as he sees his two sons go different directions and push away from the table. It reminds me of, you know, I've got two sons, and one son lives in Houston, the other one is living in Fargo, North Dakota. I mean, they couldn't live farther apart, but because they live so at such a distance, you know, we don't get to see one another very often. It's pretty rare, and frequently I will pray this prayer, Lord, help my sons to know how much I love them. And I'll pray, Lord, draw them close to you. And I can just picture a prayer like that from the Father. You know, if only my sons knew how much I love them. If only they knew. And his heart is breaking. But instead, the sons, well, the sons are doing something like this as they push away from the table. I mean, this great-looking bread here, okay? Nothing like fresh-baked bread, right? I mean, the smell of it, the feel of it, the texture of it, the taste of it. But there's only one problem. This isn't fresh-baked bread. It's actually molded foam. (laughs) If I were to bite into this, I'd break my tooth. You know, it would not satisfy. It would not taste so good. And both, both brothers, they see something and they think that it's what they want. They, th- they go after it. It looks like the right thing. And it draws them away from the table. And they settle for fake bread when they could have had the real thing. Jesus is the real bread. He's the one who is called the bread of life. He's the one that you get at the Father's table. And in order for the brothers to be able to experience this real bread, what they would have to do is set down the bread that they grabbed in His place to be able to see this is where it's found. This in the Father's presence is where real wealth is to be found. It's not out here. It's at the Father's table in His presence. And the cool thing here, about this parable, I think, is this. I mean, a lot of cool things about this parable. But Jesus, after, after describing all of these relationships and these characters in this story and inviting you into the story to identify yourself with one of these two brothers or maybe both, me, I'm both here, okay? Identify yourself here. He doesn't finish the story. Why? We don't know how this story ends. We don't know if after the party is over if the younger brother goes off again his, his own way. We don't know if the elder brother finally responds to the father's invitation and comes in and sits down at his father's table and is reconciled to his father. We don't know. But here's the thing is that by identifying you with these characters, Jesus says, "Okay, now you. You finish the story." Because this is your story, and you get to write the ending. So if you feel today like maybe you have been pushing yourself away from the Father's table, either as the younger brother or the elder brother or both, today's the day to hear the Father's invitation to come to come back home. Come home, sit at the table, and experience the Father's love for you. Let's pray. Please stand.